a listener production. Hi, I'm Elle Ferguson and this is Sliding Doors, where I chat with inspirational people from the world of fashion and beauty about their sliding door moment. That is, the moment they took a chance or made a life change that led them to where they are now at the top of their game. Having founded my own fashion and beauty brand, The L Effect, I know that succeeding in these industries isn't easy. So I'm inviting the people I admire most on the podcast to share their stories, insights, and tips for turning your passion into a career. Hi. Hi. You look so, so good. I can't look how official you are. In this episode, I'm talking to Jen Atkins. New York Times calls her the most influential hairstylist in the world. And her clients include Kim, Chloe, and Kourtney Kardashian. She has created iconic looks on Chrissy Teigen, Hailey Bieber, and Bella Hadid. I'm just going to try to find my light and stay here for the whole interview. <laughs> she is the founder of the hugely successful Way Hair Care brand. She also created her incredible website, Main Addicts, which is an all-things hair community. And off the back of that, she started Main University as a place for hairstylists to collaborate, learn, and share ideas. Can we talk about your hair? Can we talk about your eyebrows? Oh my God. You look younger now than when I saw you this time. You look amazing. I love you. I think it's drinking water and getting sleep and not getting on planes. But to me, she's a dear friend, an inspiration, and someone that always makes me laugh. Jen recently launched her new book called, wait for it, Blowing My Way to the Top, which is literally life advice we all need to hear. It covers her journey and shares what she learned along the way. God, I'm so tempted to just like get Australian citizenship at this point. I feel like you and Michael relocate one day. I would love that. (laughs) I first met Jen in a hotel room in Sydney. I know that sounds strange, but she DM'd me. I actually thought I was being catfished and I wrote back, is this the real Jen Atkin? And she said, yes, please meet me at the Grand Hyatt in room 511. I took a leap of faith. I met her. And without a doubt, we have been each other's biggest cheerleaders since that moment. I am a pro at this. (laughs) Jen has created a kick-ass career and she's not afraid to tell us about the hurdles she overcame to get there. Jen Atkin, thank you so much for joining me. I am so super excited to have one of my really good friends on the podcast chatting away. How are you? I am so good. I'm so jealous that you're in Sydney and I really miss you. And I can't wait till we can be in person and I can do some sort of fun hairdo on you. I mean, yeah, I'm ready for it. (laughs) Okay, so to start off, I like to start with a fast five just to break the ice. So don't think about it too much, super fast. First up, what's the last song you listened to? Oh my God, last song I listened to was Harry Styles' Watermelon Sugar. Nice. Item you can't live without? My deodorant, native deodorant. What's your guilty pleasure? Vanderpump Rules. What's the last photo on your phone? Oh my God, I'm so nervous and I'm really going to, this is so on brand for me. I actually took photos of my like post-it notes that I do for my top of year goals and I did it last night and I have that as my last picture. Nice work. And lastly, what's one thing that's always in your fridge? Cookie dough. I love that you said that and thought about it and then felt slightly guilty. (laughs) 
It's a problem. You've been super healthy though. You've been like no sugar. You, I watch your journey with health. It's been very good. And you've been sober now for one year? Two, two years. Two years. How are you feeling? Two years is massive. My God, I feel better than I ever have. Like I, but that said, like, I don't condemn people who do drink. You know, I just tell my story. Like it really helped me sleep better. My skin got better. I did it for vanity reasons. It wasn't like I had a crazy story of a night out. You know, I mean, I have crazy (laughs) night out stories, but I just really was like, you know what? If I start really like focusing on my health right now, I was like, about to turn 38 and was having health issues. And I was like, I just need to take care of myself because I, if I don't have my health, I have nothing. And it really has changed my life. And I didn't lose friends. I don't have people that don't want me around because I'm sober. Like nothing changed dramatically. It was just a health thing. I find a lot of people always ask me on Instagram because I'm not a big drinker. I, I don't really drink socially. And they always say to me, do you feel pressured when you go out? And I mean, I think it's fine now with COVID because none of us go out, but Before that, did you ever feel pressured when you were out at like events or things like that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I had to kind of wean myself. So I realized after a while that I was drinking only if I was super tired, Yeah, and which I was for many years, just to try to like pep up and be fun. But then my assistant one day said to me, she's like, yeah, it's funny. Drinking really is like borrowing tomorrow's happiness. Wow. And I was like, oh my God. And that one thing she said, just hit it for me. So I definitely switched from like drink. I I always have something in my hand, but now it's like sparkling water or like a fun mocktail. It's kind of fun to find mocktails or to teach bartenders mocktails. (laughs) But you know, it's so funny. Like on the flip side now, I was the person that was like, oh my God, come on, just have one drink. Or, you know, oh, why are you not drinking? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. It's so bad that we do that to our friends. Like, if, if you, you know, are doing something to make yourself feel better and to get healthier, like, why am I peer pressuring you to not do that? You know, it's just, it's weird that we give it so much power that like, you're only going to have fun right now if, if you, you have a drink. I know. And it's so not the case. Yeah. So for people that don't necessarily know you, can you give us a little snapshot of who you are and what you do? (laughs) I feel like that's a massive question. I am a hairstylist. I am originally from Hawaii in Utah. I moved to LA 20 years ago with my best friend. It was a very Romy and Michelle moment. (laughs) Packed up our Honda Civics and came to LA in the search of like working in fashion and beauty in, in some capacity. How did you get interested in the hair world? How did it start for you? You know, I always was like, growing up, I was obsessed with makeover scenes and like shopping montages in movies. And I just love the idea of like making someone over and seeing what they became. And, you know, it's very cliche, but it's like my mom was always really done up and I saw what it did to her. And when I came to LA, I didn't really even think I could have like a full career, to be quite honest. I just wanted to get my foot in the door and like experience it. And when I moved here, I was just kind of like, 20 years old, but still very, very naive and very young. So I just walked the pavement everywhere trying to get a job at one of the nice salons. And I, you know, was constantly being told no. And I just kept going back. And at the time I was a receptionist at like an architect firm just to, you know, pay the bills. And I remember being so discouraged because no one was calling me. And, you know, I didn't have really like my resume was Little Caesars (laughs) pizza. So (laughs) I you know, was just hoping that somebody would call me. And then from there, it was like, 
the struggle of trying to get into the door at a salon that was really nice as a stylist, not as a receptionist, but as a stylist and assisting the right person. Yeah. And then from there, it was like trying to get an agent that would represent you. And, you know, once you finally get, you know, an answer from an agent, it's like now you want to try to get brand deals. And at the time, like they were going to just my peers and counterparts that were male. Yeah. So, you know, that was always kind of really discouraging to me, but I stuck it through. I love that. So before all the success came, what was your first job in LA? Where did you start? I started out as a receptionist at a salon called Estilo. Um, And then that's where I kind of learned about how to manage, you know, schedules. And I became a manager there. And it was like, you know, sweeping floors, cleaning color off the floor, was like feeding Bette Midler's meter. And I thought I'd made it, you know, it was just like really, truly living paycheck to paycheck for a really long time. And then when I became manager, it's when I learned about like the salon business and selling product and really dealing with clients and different personalities and managing hairstylists. And, you know, when I started out assisting, that was like, you know, I was one of the only girls and it was like carrying heavy equipment and, and suitcases and grabbing wigs and going back for extensions and having to really like be on your toes all the time. And I remember assisting a colorist one time and if I wasn't paying enough attention to him, he would paint bleach on my fingers while I was holding the foils and it would just sit and burn. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I really definitely paid my dues in the salon. (laughs) And then I went to hair school at like an occupational center downtown LA and got to get my license started doing hair in a salon. Then I went to Fashion Week in New York. I started doing assisting editorial stylist in LA. Then I went to Paris and would sneak into the fashion shows with my kit. And like back before iPhones, I would like look on a piece of paper and just give someone's name and go in and just do the shows. My God, was there no security? You just went in and went for it. No, no, no. They would have somebody like at, you know, a table in the back. And you just give a name and there was no, like, they didn't check ID or anything back then. And you just walked in. I did that several, several times. And thank God I did because that's where it was like hair university for me. And I learned so much. So cut to, I, like I said, have lived in LA for 20 years. And I started working at the beginning of my career. Like my first celebrity clients were like Lindsay Lohan and Nicole Richie. And then I went to like Sofia Vergara was a client once Modern Family came out. Hayden Panettiere. And then I met Kim Kardashian and I have been working with the family, her and her sisters for like 10 or 11 years now. How did that happen? How did the Kardashians happen? I met Kim at an Oscar party in Lorraine Schwartz's room um, years ago and just thought she was so nice and so lovely. And yeah, the rest is history. That's amazing. Yeah. And like even you saying then about like you doing Lindsay Lohan's hair and Sophia Vergara. I mean, they're the hair that I used to look at and pull, pull out of the magazines when I was like growing up and I was like, oh my God, I want my hair to, to look like this. And now to be talking to you is like amazing. That's so crazy. That Well, first of all, that's so nice of you to say. That also makes me feel really old. <laughs> but I really have kept this like tone of being in the service industry, no matter how big my name had gotten or who... I was working with, you know, I never really lost sight of the fact that there were a lot of people that could do my job. And I was really grateful and lucky to get booked on these jobs. So when did you go freelance? How long were you in the salon before you went freelance? 
So I assisted for about five or six years. And then 2006, I went on Madonna's tour uh, doing the dancers. And then 2007 is when I started on my own at Chris McMillan Salon in LA. And yeah, I, that's when I started doing salon work. And I had an incredible business, just, you know, I, uh, it took time to like, you know, you had to be the first one at the salon and the last one to leave. You see hairstylists work. Now the hours are long and they're yeah. always on set. They're the person that gets yelled at if the hair's not right. Like it's a, it's a slog. It definitely is. Like you have to be alert and you have to also check your ego at the door because, you know, I can't tell you the kind of personalities that I've seen and directors and photographers. Like it's quite, it's a crazy bunch. But, you know, you have to really just be diligent and, and put in the work. And I remember also when I started doing editorial work, like the amount of test shoots I would do where it's like you don't get paid all day and you're just hoping to go and get good pictures and meet the right photographer or model that will lead to another job. And it was years and years of that before I got booked to do any celebrities. Yeah. And then when I wanted to get a actual agent, the one I reached out to that I really wanted, that was like the creme de la creme of agents didn't write me back for probably eight or nine months. Did you keep writing to them? Yeah, yeah, but never hearing back. And then finally one day she's like, oh, this annoying girl. <laughs> Persistent. And like put me on an assistant list. And yeah, it's crazy. I love that. Yeah. How did the tour happen with Madonna? I mean, how did that opportunity arise? How did you get that? Like, I mean, can I just say I had two immaculate collections of Madonna CDs and I played both of them until they ran out. That's how big a Madonna fan I am. You guys, if you're ever in a rut, put on immaculate collection really loud and just go for a run. It is the best. Um, You know, I was always obviously such a fan of Madonna since I was young and like, I don't know how I got to assist Andy Lecomte, who is an incredible hairstylist. And I remember the day that he he put me up for the job and I had to get approved by her, of course, in the team, but to do the dancer's hair. And this was the Confessions of a Dance Floor tour. And it was the first time I, I would have gone around the world. I, I remember getting the gig and I got the call. I was like, oh my God, I'm going on Madonna's tour. Called my mom. She's like, well, honey... I mean, are you sure? Is this like safe? Is it going to be okay? I was like, no, this is like a huge thing for my career. And, you know, it was such an incredible, that tour specifically, she took like street dancers. I don't know a better way of saying it, but they were like kids that were doing parkour and um, crumping here in LA and like took them from these like smaller neighborhoods and like we're all just on a bus together going around the world for the first time ever. And we're all like, 22 to 27 years old. It was so incredible. And I'm really good friends with a lot of the dancers to this day. And my best friend was on that tour. And it was incredible. It was just like seeing Japan and going to like London and just being in the environment of like Madonna's fans. It was so, so much fun. I can only imagine how wild that would have been. Yeah. But were there a lot of sacrifices? It was definitely like, it was whirlwind and amazing. But the sacrifice was, I think, just not sleeping and having to be on because it's like, you can't screw up. This is a live show. And it's like for the biggest performer ever. Do you have any merch? Did you get any merch on the tour? Oh yeah, for sure. I have a little box in my office. It's like got all of my stuff from the Confessions tour. Oh my God, that, I, wanted to, I want that box. I have a t-shirt. I need to throw back some of the videos yes. from that because I would like hurry and get the girls ready and then they'd, they'd rush on stage and I'd run to the side of the stage because I was like learning the choreography and doing it with them because I just... My friends call me hair dancer 
because I love to dance. And I just was like, oh my God, this is my moment. I just get to be side stage dancing with Madonna. It's like a dream in itself. <laughs> it was amazing. I feel really lucky that I have been able to make a career out of my passion. But I, yeah. I think the number one thing is, and I joke about this in the book, that like I could be a therapist at this point because of the amount of women that have been in my chair and men and just the conversations I've had. And I love connecting with people. I'm a social butterfly. And I just really love that I get to give someone a glimpse of like how amazing they are by giving them either a haircut or having just a pep talk with them. And like, really, it's all about, I joke that like, it's 25% talent. And then I think 75% just personality and like connection with people is the reason why I've had success throughout the years. Cause I really love, I just love like giving somebody like a boost. That's the best part of being yeah. a hairstylist. And you do that. You're everybody's biggest cheerleader. And I absolutely love that about you. It's funny, every time you come to Australia, we always try to see each other. And it's been really interesting seeing you over, I mean, like the last like five years, I guess it's been, and the different stages of your career in those five years. And something I really remember about the first time meeting you is you going and trying to go into all the salons in Sydney. And it was right back at the beginning of when Way had kind of started. And I I don't want to insult you when I say this, but not as many people knew who you were. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like now I feel like every single person knows who you are. And I remember there was one salon that you went into because I saw you later in the day and they didn't give you, they kind of didn't know who you were or what you were doing. And you were like, hey, I'm coming in to introduce myself. And I thought it was so amazing that this incredible woman that was doing the Kardashians hair was kind of knocking on the salon's doors in Sydney and somebody was just, it was a Saturday and they were like, yeah, cool, whatever. And I was like, dude, don't you know who this is? And I remember the salon. <laughs> but it's been interesting seeing the speed that you were going at then. And then the next trip, you kind of, the way had really launched. And yeah. it's just been so interesting seeing how the sacrifices that you made that first trip, you didn't sleep. I don't think you slept for the three days you were in Sydney. We did the morning show together. You did dinner with people, with hairstylists. To the second trip, wasn't as crazy. And then the last one, you actually had time to breathe. And the other week I saw on Instagram, you saying how you plot your day out and how you give yourself time in the morning. And then somebody must have come back and said like, oh my gosh, how do yeah. you have this time? And you were like, you don't realize I'm at that point in my career now. Like my, all my other years, I've been working so incredibly hard. You know what I mean? And I never stopped. I guess for me, what was that turning point where you could kind of like take a breath? I mean, I have to say, like, when I hear you even talk about that person that you met, it's, it's wild to me, like, and I just have always had so much energy, like my nickname as a kid was busy, because my parents were like, you're so busy all the time. <laughs> and I think it really was me going to therapy, that I realized, like, I actually could have had a life this whole time. Yeah. And I think like, I was in a place where because I felt like one of the first women in hair that was able to like break down certain barriers. I mean, there's so many colorists and amazing people that have worked in salon, but when I was coming up, I didn't really know a lot of like female hairstylists besides Sally Hirschberger that I could really look up to. And so I kind of put this pressure on myself to like do it all. And, you know, I wanted to just be this representation to other girls out there that like, you can do it and, you know, and I think in a way, I always felt like I wasn't as good as the boys and I had to prove myself because it was just harder to compete with like these beautiful gay men who were doing hair, who had like, you know, this charisma and like the way that like 
a man, I understand it. Like there's this, this way of like, you know, being in a chair and this like gorgeous man is like doing your hair. Like I understand that that's appealing. So it really just took me kind of, I think gaining confidence in myself and like loving myself and doing enough therapy where I was like, wow, what am I getting validation from? And I looked at the last seven to eight years and it was just work every single day on my calendar. And when I wasn't working, I was planning something and I was doing like an event or I was like meeting up with somebody and it was just nonstop and it wasn't sustainable. And I ended up fainting, was dehydrated. Two years ago, I had um, a herniated disc, what's called military neck from looking down on your phone and your computer for so long. I remember sitting at dinner with you at Icebergs in Bondi with an ice pack on the back of your neck. Oh my God, I'm so sorry, Elle. You've seen it all. Yeah. But truly, like my body was giving out, my shoulders, my neck, like it was giving out. And I just got to a point where I was like, I don't think that I'm loving myself and investing in myself. I'm just giving, giving, giving. Were you scared if you said no and you slowed down, you were going to miss out on other opportunities or you were changing the way to set and be the example? You know, it's interesting. Like, I think being one of the, I don't want to say like pioneers, but like one of the first people to like start a beauty brand in front of everyone and a socially driven and connected brand, it's so incredible But it also, you know, I talk to other female founders in this space and sometimes it's a lot. It's a lot of pressure because you're on your phone every day showing this journey. And I think I just kind of got lost in all of it. And there was this amazing moment of like female entrepreneurship and Trump had won and we were all angry. And it was like we were just feeling this like we this feminist energy of like we need to, you know, like fight back and get the things that we deserve and, you know, get equality, all of it. And I think like, you know, by, by getting really so caught up in just my worth, uh, as far as like being a hairstylist and working with celebrities and being a brand founder and all of it, like I kind of needed to strip that all away for a minute and just get back to who I was. And so you, there's so much amazing opportunity out there. There are so many amazing wins. There's so many amazing goals you can set. There's so many great things you can do. But at the end of the day, what is truly going to love you back? And it's like, when you strip everything away, if I didn't do hair, who am I? If I didn't have a brand, if I didn't wear certain clothes, if I didn't have my car, like, you know, I kind of just felt like I was chasing after this, like, And in America, we're very guilty of consumerism. Yeah. And I think like, you know, Instagram has made it. So now it's like, you know, everyone complains about it feeling like a shopping mall now. And everything is just ads to make us feel like we need something to make ourselves feel better. And I think like, to be quite honest, I felt like I started this brand and the notes I wrote down in 2014 was that like, I wanted to stop this lie. I wanted, like hair was all about like, these ads and all the brands were owned by these conglomerates that are mostly white men with like these really unrelatable images of pretty skinny models with like wigs on their hair and or wigs on their head. And it just didn't feel relatable. And I felt like I kind of like bought into all of that. And I just wanted to strip back down to like reality. And so that's just a very long winded way of telling you that in hindsight, like I am so much happier now. And I know that it's easy for me to say now that I have a brand that's successful and I work with like, you know, some really amazing celebrities and all of that. But truly, like I could have found this medium ground of happiness and success. I didn't need to like 
kill myself. I love that you're saying that. You know what? There's so many people that I think you're saying that to that's going to make a real big change. Because I, for me personally, when I saw you start to breathe and prioritize your health was something just even hearing you experience that and the changes that it had made to your life and just like in all honesty, it really made a big difference to how I work. So I think it's amazing that you're actually setting that new way of being able to be amazing without sacrificing everything, your health and who you are. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about the Hoffman, which is a process that you had done. I mean, the last time I saw you, which was 12 months ago, you had come out of it and you had done it and you were telling me about your learnings. Um, Tell me about it and how much it's changed your life. Yeah, I'll give you guys kind of the gist of it. So it's called the Hoffman Institute. They have one in Australia. There's one in London. There's a few in the United States. And it's a psychotherapy camp. And I think, you know, I had done therapy and kind of gone in and done the work and kind of, you know, you kind of dig in a little bit. But Hoffman is like, you are just all in. And the best way to describe it is it's 10 years of therapy in one week. And it truly, truly is. Like, I cannot say enough great things about it. I went in there because I had some business things that were just stressing me out. I felt like a shell of myself. I felt like I just couldn't get out of this funk. And I've always been such a happy, positive, like I like to just, you know, kind of stay in a light place. And I just couldn't shake this like anger because of something that had happened. And so I went in there, oh my God, you give them your phone. (laughs) You don't go with anyone that you know. You're there with 39 strangers. And, you know, I remember walking in that room and being like, what am I doing here? Like these people I I don't need to be here. Like these people have like real problems. Like I don't belong here. And by the end of it, I was just like crying and hugging and just like, I don't want to leave. Like this is the best place. Um, You know, I think for me, it was just like, I finally felt like an adult walking out of there and I didn't have my phone. No one knew that I was a celebrity hairstylist. Nobody knew my real name. And I just went in there and I got connected again with who I was. I think also I got to do a lot of healing and forgiving And I think that there's something, you know, we all kind of had that like little child inside. And I think I was still blaming my parents for a lot of things. I was hanging on to just bad patterns and things that I've learned from my parents. You know, while I have the good, I also was just holding on to the bad. And I think in relationships, we see that a lot. Like, you know, when I fight with Mike, it's like my dad fighting with his mom. And, you know, I just wanted to make sure, and and even for my marriage, you know, I was like, once we're old and gray, like, what does that look like? And who am I? And am I happy? You know, take everything away. Am I happy? And it was amazing. You go and you do individual therapy, you do group therapy, you do a lot of writing and you leave there feeling like a whole person. And it's amazing. Thank you for that. And what I found interesting was, is that Mike did it separately to you. And then as a unit afterwards, you were completely different. This year, especially it's helped us just to kind of keep our shit together we both are just so much better at kind of getting to the root of what's going on with us. And I think by encouraging one another to wake up, start the day with a gratitude list, meditate, meditate. Oh my God, I can't say enough great things. Like it's so LA. I remember being like, <laughs> I'm not meditating. I don't have time for that. Like this is so like, it's bullshit. I don't need to sit still. <laughs> and then I started reading books and like after Hoffman really like realizing, slowing our brain down to like, conserve energy because we're constantly on our phone or we're on our computer while we're watching TV. And there's just so much 
energy being taken from our brain that it really truly is good to just like, it's why kids nap it, you know, it's just ingrained in us. Um, but yeah, it's really helped us as a couple to be able to communicate and, and talk about emotions and, and just be, I think more gentle with ourselves. And I think we're kind of putting on our oxygen mask first and it's been so amazing for our relationship. I love that. I also love that it's so wild talking to you as this person now versus the person that you were when I first met you. And it's somehow you look younger now, which is amazing. So if that's, oh my God. If that's one thing, go to the Hoffman just to look younger. Well, you get a facelift while you're there. Okay. okay. Perfect. <laughs> I'm like, sign me up. You know what's crazy though? Honestly, they I've heard stories of people when they get their phone back at the end of the week. And I saw it in people in their faces in the class that I was in. Like people were just like, their body was just kind yeah. of like hunched and just low. And by the end, shoulders are up and back. Their chin is up. They're confident again. It was like watching water being put on a plant. See, that's wild. That's why I had somebody close to me do it. And I can only describe it as that their light was turned back on when they came out of it. I mean, I can see it in you and I can see it in in the person that I know that did it. It's, it's amazing. I have every intention to do it this year. Sorry. Yay. Oh my God. Mike describes it as like the gray clouds go away and you can see the blue sky yeah. and it's not with medication and it's so incredible. Yes. Did you have a moment like that sliding doors moment for yourself? That yeah. You said no. And then another door opened. Was there a moment in your career where something like that happened? So um, I would say I have a few standout sliding door moments, getting to work with John Galliano yes. when he was at the house of Dior. That was one like sliding door moment. And then I think doing Gwen Stefani for the cover of Vogue. <laughs> I got called last minute, something had happened. And I they were like, can you come and do Gwen for the cover of Vogue? And I was like, oh my God, I'll be there in 15 minutes and screamed. Like <laughs> it was like Devil Wears Prada moment. I was freaking out. I love that. Yeah. Where there are a lot of challenges when you first started Way. What were some of the challenges that you faced? Did you start self-funded at the beginning? Yeah, I did. So I think that at the beginning, the challenges were, you know, we were such a small team. And I think I was very naive to the fact that social media is global and there's no, <laughs> you know, there's no border walls on social media. It's like we are all just one. And I think when, you know, I decided to come out with this few skews, I sent it to friends and it just like that day that it launched, my phone was just like on fire all day long. It was so, you know, when your phone gets so hot, yeah. it's like overheating. And it was like automatic. I was getting DMs of like, oh my God, is it available in Thailand? When's it coming to Australia? Australia, I need to thank you. First of all, you guys are so patient and it kills me that like I tease something here and it takes another two to three months to get to you guys. And I promise you, I'm trying to figure out a way to... We want the hand cream and the soap. I'm just going to put coming, it out there. I promise. Like, I'm just going to let you know, I messaged somebody in your office the other week and I was like, hey, is there any way I could get some soap and hand cream? We need it. We want it so badly. I will get it to you, I promise. Um, <laughs> but so that was the challenge was yeah. just like, it was, you know, we were a small team and it was like, there was just a lot of pressure and we needed to, you know, get a loan from the bank. And like, I don't think I was prepared for how quickly it was going to grow, um, which is a great problem to have. I'm not, you know, complaining, but at the time I was like, oh my God. And we were all just wearing a lot of hats. And I think like, you know, I look back at pictures and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how we like kept our shit together, but we did. 
<laughs> and then I think, you know, I have to shout out my team because being a business owner, especially in 2020, was a, a roller coaster of emotions. I was like, okay, are we going to have to get rid of people? Do we have to like, is this going to, you know, are we going to be able to carry through this year? Am I keeping my shit together on our Zooms? I've got to be strong. And I have to thank everybody that supported Way because we got through this year and like, it was insane. It was really awesome. And the team, those that are like, you know, stuck in an apartment alone and isolated and those who have kids who are making it happen, like it's been so inspiring to see this team like support one another. And, and I'm just so grateful. I, every day I wake up and I'm just like, my gratitude list is way is surviving, way is surviving. I'm just so happy. So how did you have the confidence to keep going? How did you keep pushing? I don't know. I think I'm just very annoyingly persistent. And I was already at that point and I just thought like, I have nothing to lose. And I really truly like have no shame in my game, I think. <laughs> I just keep pushing until like I finally get an answer. And probably the same for finding my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I went on a lot of discouraging dates and had discouraging relationships. And I just like, you know, I could have settled and I didn't. Yeah. I was just like, I'm going to wait until I find, you know, somebody who I deserve. Yeah. And then I think, you know, again, like I had approached a few different companies that had asked me to do capsule collections for them. And that, you know, I had talked about my idea of having a socially driven hair care brand. It didn't exist. I really wanted to, you know, crowdsource and just really work with the community to create these, these products. And I was turned away by several brands because one said like I wasn't famous enough. One said the time isn't right. You know, so I was like, you know what? F it. I'm going to figure this out. And I found an investor and did it. And now I'm on the shelf. Yes. Next to some of those brands, I just want to say. Which we love. That's amazing. When somebody says no, what makes you keep going? Oh, God, there's an amazing Kris Jenner quote. She talks about this where she says something like, if you ask someone and they're telling you no, you're talking to the wrong person, which I love. I love that. I've always kind of been like, I don't like to take no for an answer if I truly, fully feel like I believe in something. But again, like, I don't want it to make it sound like it's that easy. There's also times where, and there were things that like, I really felt so passionate about that just couldn't work out and it didn't happen and it broke my heart. There were some things that did work, but like, you know, you have to learn that you have to really just trust that like rejection is God's protection and the things that don't work out there is a reason behind it. And I have to say in my 40 years, it probably has been the last five years that I really have seen that. Like some things are not going to work out and it's really truly meant to be. I like that when rejection is God's protection. I've never heard that before. And I really, really like that. And the best way to get over someone is to get under someone else. Unfortunately, I have quote. heard that. I think I've heard it from you, which makes it even better. <laughs> so what's next for you? Because you've got the book. You've got Main Addicts, which is incredible. You've got the new office, which nobody's in, but it looks amazing. Way. Things look very amazing from where I'm sitting. What's next on the list? The only thing I can say is for Way, anyone with curly hair or anyone that has a dog <laughs> is going to be very happy. This is an exclusive, Elle. I haven't told anybody this. <laughs> So we have a few surprises and a lot of great like merch and stuff planned throughout the year. Yes. But then Main Addicts, we have our creator collective that are doing amazing, incredible things and creating their own content and working with brands. And 
we have something that's going to be coming out end of year that's going to be very, very exciting and life-changing. And I am working with Dyson again this year. They've got some really fun things up their sleeve. And um, I think just creating a lot of content is on my calendar this year. Tutorials is what I'm hearing everyone wants. Yes. And I would love to do another book. I had the best time writing this book. I had to rewrite it three times. When did you start? When did you, in your spare time, when did you start the book? April 2019. Okay. Yeah. Perfect and timing with COVID for all of us. Well, it was just, finished. That's what I mean. It was finished top of 2020. And then it was like, I was like, oh my God, I need to now talk about what quarantine and like COVID has done to the world. And like, you know, for me, like writing the book, I wanted it to really be for people who feel like they missed out, feel like they need direction, feel like they can't figure out their purpose, or maybe they've met, made bad decisions um, those who feel stuck in a rut and like May, June of this year, I, I can't imagine, you know, a bigger theme. Like everyone was just lost at sea. So I did a rewrite. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you did the rewrite. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I did the rewrite. And then, you know, here in America, George Floyd happened and it just completely shook everyone's foundation. And I had to look at you know, while I was in the feminist movement, what did intersectionality look like and how was I helping to really support all women? And, you know, so I did another rewrite and it was very therapeutic for me to do that. And I'm really so happy with how it turned out, but I'd love to do another one. I still have a lot of things on the cutting room floor that I think (laughs) would be interesting. Who supported your dream to become a success? Me. And I say that because I think it's really hard for women to be a champion of yourself. And I think I would not have gotten nearly the success that I have if I didn't truly believe in myself and and root for myself. And I know it sounds really egotistical, but if I was a guy saying that, you wouldn't think twice. So that's why I'm saying it. I'm not thinking twice. (laughs) I'm like getting, I'm going to get it tattooed on me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk about Mike because I've been lucky enough to be able to meet Mike, hang out with Mike, work with Mike. And I just think, I always think of Joel, my partner, and I'm like, just be like Mike. He like cooks the pasta. He supports Jen. He's amazing. (laughs) I was chatting to somebody the other day and it's really funny when you're in a relationship and somebody lifts you up and helps you fly versus not. And I just think you guys are such an ultimate team. You guys are amazing. And I, I just would love to hear a little bit about Mike from you. You know, Mike and I have been together now for like 11 or 12 years and married, it'll be seven years this this year. And, you know, we kind of grew up together. It was a pivotal time in both of our lives. Our careers were just kind of starting to bloom. The first few years, Mike had really tough years. And I remember I was dating this guy who a couple of times broke down. And one of my favorite things about Mike is he's not afraid of wearing his emotions. And I remember just being like, oh, this guy's so talented, but he just hasn't, you know, met the right people yet. He hasn't had that opportunity yet. And so at the beginning of our career was really me kind of like lifting him and trying to work, you know, on my own career at the same time. And and then this just, it's been really crazy. We, we sacrificed a lot. We didn't see each other a lot, you know, cause we, he was so great and so supportive and I was just on the road. And when I was home, I was at, on work mm-hmm. or at, on set, like at work all the time. So It's definitely been like, uh, you know, we both have kind of had to learn how to support one another, but also like tell each other like, okay, we need to spend like time together and we need to, I mean, Mike was the first to be like, shut your phone off, stop looking at your phone. 
Instagram isn't real life. Like stay here with me in like the real world. And, you know, I think it's, it's really incredible when you find somebody who can, who can do that for you. And by the way, I'm always telling Mike, I'm like, why don't you surf like Joel? Or why don't you like, I always wanted to be like Stephen Perkins and like, we're always comparing these poor boys to I everyone know. I'm else. I'm like, Joel, but- learn how to use the camera. Do you know how easy our life would be? It's so bizarre. <laughs> Honestly, Elle, I look back and I'm like, I didn't know by marrying a photographer and director how useful that would be in my life. But I'm so, so grateful. But he's such a, he's so talented. And honestly, like, I think my favorite part about Mike, though, is he does not have an ego at all. And I think that that's really kind of one of my my favorite things about him. But neither do you. I mean, you're amazing. I just, it's funny when I think about my sliding door moment. It's actually one of them is when we were in shooting The Way, that first campaign down at Venice and Kristen Noel Crawley was in the RV. Steph Shep was in the RV. Makeup by Shayla was in the RV. And, and you were, and we had Chrissy Teigen's dog as well there. And oh <laughs> so <God>. random. <laughs> but everybody, these amazing women were talking about all these businesses that they were creating. And I remember Kristen Noel Crawley talking about the machine that made the under eye masks. And you were talking about way and the struggles that you were going through and, and just making it happen. And I remember walking out of that RV and going, I want to do something. So thank you for giving me that moment because it was you that made me go, I want to make my own brand. And how amazing, all that you're doing that for so many people too. You know, it's just really like paying it forward. And, oh, I miss those days. That was one of my favorite <laughs> campaigns ever, just celebrating like some strong women in my life. And that was so, I, it's so crazy how, this is why Instagram is amazing. Cause I remember following you and being like, God, this girl's got the coolest style ever. You were just like little bright, like sunshine with long legs. <laughs> And when I met you, I was even more thrilled because like you did not disappoint. You were so genuine and kind and loving. And like, you don't, you can't, you can fake that for a minute, but like I've known you now for over four or five years. And like, you really are such a kind hearted person. And, and I am so happy to see you and Joel together too. Really? It makes me so happy. And you have like good people around you and it really, it really shows. Thank you so much for being part of this. I really think people are going to listen to this and be really inspired. Everybody's going to go out and buy the book. We're waiting for number two now because I want to know what made it to the cutting room floor that has to go in the next one. Thank you so much for being such a big inspiration to me and being a friend and a mentor. Oh, thank you, Elle. Thank you for having me. And it was so fun to do this and I hope we get to do it again. Yes, in person. How exciting would that be? Oh, the best. The best. (laughs) Thank you. Sliding Doors is hosted by me, Elle Ferguson, producer Tina Matalov, audio production by Darcy Thompson, executive producer Jennifer Goggin, and a special thanks to my manager, Camille Toulouse, for always being a fresh pair of ears on each episode. Listener.